In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Hello, everyone. This is John Lim with Moving Forward, and we continue our 50th episode celebration with Doug Drexler. Doug's accomplishments in the world of film and television could take up an entire podcast, probably an entire series. So I'm only going to be able to hit some of the highlights. Doug is a gifted makeup and visual effects artist, designer, sculptor, and illustrator, a true visionary and leader in this industry. Among his many accolades, Doug won both the Academy Award and the British Academy Award for his makeup work on Dick Tracy and two Emmys for his visual effects work on the series Battlestar Galactica. Doug is also well known to Star Trek fans around the world, having worked on The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise, to name just a few. Welcome, Doug. How are you today? John, I, wh- what am I going to say now? You you told everything about me. There's nothing left. <laughs> oh, come on, Doug. People who know who you are know that your IMDP page, which is not even complete, is about three miles long. There's been so much wonderful material that you've shared with so many fans. So I just want to dig a little bit into your story and share that with our listeners. So I'm going to kick it off by asking you, so tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. And in particular, what inspired you to start a career in film and television in that industry? And a little bit about your journey. Well, you know, I'm I'm the geek who made good, Mm. basically. Uh, I I was a geek from day one from a little kid i mean when it wasn't fashionable when they used to chase you with torches and pitchforks for reading <laughs> science fiction you know but i mean when when i was a kid growing up in the 60s it was it's really hip today and 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 there's very sophisticated stuff being done back then and when they made star trek science fiction was laughed at. it was a joke mm. it's amazing how far it's come uh i was one of the weird ones that uh, knew it was for me when I was a kid. And uh, I was very well read. I read all the classic science fiction stuff. And um, I got to, you know, like Edgar Rice Burroughs was really uh, influential. And, mm. but, and then, of course, I have to give a lot of credit to, you know, guys like Stanley and Jack Kirby, who while I was reading books, I was also reading, the, you know, these guys were revolutionizing comics in the, in the early 60s when they... They, they did stuff like the Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and Iron Man and all that stuff that's huge, gigantic hits in the movies today. But back then, it was just, you know, a, a guy with a pen and a piece of paper and, and uh, someone with snappy prose, you yeah. know. That was really, really uh, influential. Uh, and still to this day. I, I just went to a Jack Kirby show a couple of weeks ago in uh, Northridge and it was really fantastic. But, uh, yeah, so I was always... And I was, I mean, the kids called me the man from Mars. They laughed at me. They thought (laughs) I was weird. And you know what? I've learned over the years, if you aren't fitting in and they think you're weird, you're probably on to something. So don't let them stop you. (laughs) Absolutely. I think Steve Jobs had the same philosophy and, and, you know, look what he did with Apple. So it makes perfect sense. Well, Doug, how did that passion turn into you pursuing a career in the industry? You know, when I was a kid, uh, we had the New York World's Fair, which was like 1964, 1965, mm-hmm. that I went to. A lot of people remember it mostly from Men in Black with the flying saucer that the bug goes in and then crashes through that giant globe of the earth. Mm-hmm. That's that's all from the World's Fair. And I, a- as a kid, like 11 years old, 
that fair was there for two summers. My father dropped me off twice a week for two summers and let me loose. I mean, can you imagine that all by myself? Maybe he was trying to get rid of me. (laughs) But there was the fair. It was very science fiction and technology oriented. And I used to go to that. That coupled with my love of science fiction was explosive. I mean, it was like rocket fuel for me. Um, When the fair ended, and believe it or not, the fair, which was like bigger than Disney World, it was in Flushing Meadow, New York. What if I told you that Walt Disney was going to build Disney World and only keep it up for two years? Then he was going to tear it all down and return it to just like Parkland. Mm. Pretty crazy, huh? Yeah. That's what that was. Oh, my goodness. So when that fair went away, and that was really hard on a kid like me, Star Trek uh, premiered. Mm-hmm. And it was it was very rare to see good good science fiction on television. I mean, now you could find you know good science fiction everywhere. 24-7, too. It's incredible. But then that was like such a it was it was a, the show which today seems oh yeah captain spaceship stuff like that that's all it's been done quite a bit at this point but back then the way Roddenberry did it it was absolutely mind blowing and I, I knew from watching the show that Gene Roddenberry was a science fiction fan so I felt uh, connected to them and I used to write them fan letters and then eventually I would when I got out to L.A., I would end up working on Star Trek when Roddenberry and Justman, the producer, were both there from, you know, 17 years on the show, which is absolutely astonishing. Uh, I, sometimes I think that maybe maybe I'm dying somewhere in a gutter, right? And my, my oxygen-starved brain is hallucinating all this really cool stuff. <laughs> How, it has to be, right? What else could it be? If that's the truth, that's the best hallucination I think anyone could ever it's have It's a done. great hallucination. I'm really having a lot of fun. That's awesome. That, that's I, I love that last statement. You're having a lot of fun. And it's just I a, am having and, fun. And it's just a passion that you had since you were a kid, and you're living that every single day. What more could you ask for? I could ask for lots more. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll get into that, Doug. Good. And then, of course, later on, when I was working on Star Trek. But uh, how did I get? It? How did I get in to the biz? It, it, it's really, it's an it's an interesting story, really. I mean, I was living in uh, Brooklyn, New York, New York City, about as far from Hollywood as you could get. Yes. And. Um, I was working at, I mean, I was a sketcher and I drew all the time and I figured that's where I was going to be headed. I'd be, I worked towards being an illustrator and, um, I was working at it on a telephone sales deck at an architectural supply in Manhattan called Charette. And, um, they had a Halloween party and I had been collecting articles. Like I told you, no internet. It's whatever you could pull out of a magazine or find a book or whatever, stuff like that. Um, I, I, I had been collecting articles on, on special effects and I knew I had an article on special effects makeup and I had to do prosthetic appliances like Planet of the Apes, Mm -hmm. which was really like the hot one when I was, you know, at that age. And, uh, I had this article and I picked up being in New York, it was easy to get material. I could, I, you know, all the places that sold that type of stuff were in New York and I went and got plaster and clay and all everything you needed. And I sculpted a Planet of the Apes makeup, made a mold on it, cast foam latex appliance out of it. And when I was done, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> was, that your, was that your first time ever having sculpted? Uh, yes. Oh, my God. I never sculpted before. But it, you know, it, it, did you just, have any like training or did you have you ever taken a sculpting class? Or was, no. 
was this just something you just decided to do? Well, it was just that it had all been drawing. Mm. And, and, you know, the thing is that, especially, I mean, speaking for creative things like that, one thing informs the other. If you can draw, you're going to be a better sculptor. If you yeah. can sculpt, you, uh, you, you know. Uh, so I already had the, you know, the eye to the hand connection. This was just bringing it out into three dimensions where I could push the clay around until it looked like it. And so, yeah, I, I had this, it was like, I had this, all of a sudden realized I had this superpower, you know, I'm like, holy yeah. flame on, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, and so from there on, I was out of my mind doing makeup stuff. I mean, I was, I was, and I love making molds. I make molds on the cat if it would stay in one place. <laughs> I'm sure the cat would be not well, too pleased with that. Upset. You know, a funny thing, uh, not to get too far off the beaten path, and I was like 11 years, no, I was later. I guess I was like 15 years old, 15 or 16 years old. And my mother, uh, some I don't know how it happened, but they, they, she got this stuff called moulage, which is what you do to... Uh, to, to take life cast. When we did makeup, we used alginate, which cold water was mixed in with the powder to make this paste that you would make a, a, you know an impression of somebody's face. But she got this stuff called moulage. I don't know where she got it from. You put it in a big double boiler and you melt it down into like a, you know, a very thick, uh, almost like melted cheese in a way. Mm. And she's... And, and when you get that on someone's face, as it cools, it solidifies. And then you put plaster on top of that to support the shape. So when you take it off, you could use that to make a copy of someone's face. I don't know where she got the stuff. All I know is that she had it and she wanted to make a life cast. And she asked me if she could do it on me. And I said, sure, like a fool. <laughs> she put the stuff on me and she left out some important steps. Like you're supposed to put like Vaseline on the hair so the plaster won't stick to it. And anyway, she's got the moulage on me and, and it feels really, it's nice. It's nice and warm and relaxing. And then the plaster goes on top of that. And so when the plaster solidifies, she says, okay, now sit forward and it should just drop right off. And I sit forward and it's not dropping off. Mm. And I go to pull it off and it's like in my hair. And I had this thing locked on my head. And she was chasing me around with a hammer to try to break it off of my head. It was, you'd think I'd never want to do makeup after that, but <laughs> you'd think that, I, you know, a few years later, I would be doing like, you know, hundreds of life castings. Oh my gosh. Some pretty famous people too. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, it's that's insane. Cool. <laughs> it's insane. This is fantastic. I love that you're sharing all parts of your journey. And and just a couple of things that I'm, I'm really getting a sense of is that, your career really has just been a culmination of all of your life experiences, you know, from yes. growing up and just finding yes. your love of science fiction and then digging as deep as you can pre-internet to find all of the secrets behind the magic. And that's what I really love about your story is that it, it really wasn't, uh, you weren't following an A to B path. You were just like like a yeah. creative. You were just like all over the place. And I love oh, that man, it's, it's, I it's ever- all tying together, you know? It's all related. I, for me, I can't imagine somebody who uh, becomes one thing and stays that for their entire lives. Yeah. You know, it's like I know guys who make up, like Dick Smith, the guy who started me in the makeup business. And that's the story, too. Uh, the, the great, legendary Dick Smith, who did Little Big Man, Exorcist, and Amadeus, and incredible character makeup. Mm. It turned out he lived 
uh, 15 miles north of New York City. And I ended up, a friend of mine said, you know, I just interviewed Dick Smith. I'm going to give you his telephone number. And he gave me his telephone number. It took me like two weeks to build up the courage to call him because mm. I had idolized this guy. And uh, when I got him on the phone, he kept me on the phone, giving me information and stuff. Talk about enthusiastic. And uh, that's how I got started. That was the beginning of my career. I worked with him on several jobs in his famous uh, Larchmont. Uh, he had a, a lab in his basement uh, and, and worked with him there. And really, it hasn't stopped since then. But I've done so many other... I've. Uh, you know, variants of what I do, you know, yeah. like to do illustration or to do scenic art and, uh, you know, to end up in visual effects and computers and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I, I'm just greedy, I guess, because I want, I want it all, you know, I don't, I can't, I can't stay in one spot. I have to. I think that's the, just the mark of someone who's just really passionate about what they do, Doug. And I love that it just started with a phone call. I, I that's think absolutely that's- the truth. I mean, that's, that was the spark, and it just was finding the courage to pick up the phone, dial those numbers. That was scary. Uh, you want to hear my failure? Uh, well, actually, I wanted to ask you, before we get to your failure, I wanted to ask <laughs> you, because I ask all of my guests this, especially people who've accomplished so much. So do you have a morning routine that you start out with that inspires you to just conquer the day? John, I'm in the gym at 5 a.m. in the morning. Mm. <laughs> I get up at 4.30 and I go to the gym. Yeah. And after that, everything else is easy. <laughs> uh, I love it. And it's, it's, it's a common thread and it's something that I incorporate in my life. I think it's so important to start out with that physical activity. To just- it really is. I mean, I find that what happens if you don't do that, there's a um, – uh, your mind – drifts away from your body yeah. they become detached from one another you know they're people who are out of touch with their own bodies and one both of them are not going to function properly without the other by going to the gym it's very much uh, a brain workout mm-hmm. to make yourself do these things it builds you know builds strength and character and horse sense and stuff yeah, like that absolutely uh, um, so I, I think if you're not doing it and I know how hard it is for a lot of people to do it. I mean, uh, they actually go and they hate it and they end up quitting. Um, you've got to learn how to, to uh, hypnotize yourself. You know, I, I remember I read a book as a kid that changed my life that was called The Power of the Subconscious Mind. Mm. Uh, and you can program yourself. You know, for years of telling yourself you hate to exercise because they tortured you in gym class in elementary school. Uh, you know, so you hate it because of that. You got to get ar- you got to get around that, and you can do it. Your brain is just a piece of meat. You got to program it. I love that because it's it really is important. Just shifting and reframing the way you see something like exercise, where getting up at the crack of dawn to to do that physical activity, and then you build it into a habit. You reprogram your brain. Yes. Instead of seeing it as something that you hate from maybe some childhood memory in gym class, you reprogram your brain to see it as this is something I need to do in order to conquer the day. Oh yeah, and and tell yourself you love doing it. You, you know what? The subconscious is stupid. <laughs> it really is. It will do anything. Anything you tell it, it will believe. If you tell yourself that, oh, I can't do that and I don't have the, you know, I don't, I, I just can't do that. I can't get up in the morning or I, I can't go to the gym. I don't have time. You won't. You won't. You're, set, you're setting yourself up for failure when you have thoughts like that. I, yeah. I found that all through my life. I'm not just talking about going to the gym. I mean, all the different things that I've done. I mean, I'm in the business 
I, this is like my 33rd year. Over those years, anything I wanted to do, I never let a negative thought into my head. If I did, I stopped myself and I said, mm. that's not true. I can do that. I'm going to do that. I'll be doing it. And, and you will. You know what? If you expect shit, shit is what you get. Seriously. Yeah. You have to expect all good stuff. I, I love that. And just having that discipline to stop a negative thought and reframe it. I mean, that that just, I think that really does start with making sure that you have the physical endurance to do that as well as the mental endurance. So it well, makes perfect helping, sense. It's, it's building discipline. You know, discipline is really important. Yeah. It's everything that you're going to do. Um, it's especially hard to be disciplined as a kid. If you could do it, the younger you could do it, the better you're better. Yeah. Yeah. Build those lifelong habits early. So I love that, Doug. Well, this leads perfectly into my next question. So if you can share a time in your life where maybe you failed, where you hit a roadblock, but you learned an incredible lesson about when it's the right time to pivot or shift course or make that slight course correction. The fear of failure yeah. is one of the most powerful uh, crippling things that you could do to yourself, and you shouldn't do it. Yeah, uh, I had to learn. I had to have a couple of really horrible things happen that w- that might have uh, totally stopped another person, but but I I was able to see my way through it. That is to fail in in a way that was really embarrassing that you you wouldn't even tell anyone about. In the business I'm in. It's it's constantly that uh, that has to be a skill that you're good at. Uh, you have to n- roll with the punches mm. and change course and adjust for every for all the nuances of the wind and the weather and you know uh, that that's part of the skill that you you do have to start learning as early as possible. The only way you learn that is by getting out there and failing. Uh, you must fail. You you can be afraid of failure and it could stop you or you could realize that failure is actually your friend Mm, (laughs) and you you need to fail and get out there and fail today and do it now and don't hesitate to fail because without any failure, you're not going to learn and get better, you know. Um, uh, You know, uh, there was a moment in my life uh, that I realized that I had to get a grip on the fear of failure because it could be paralyzing and it could be, be crippling. And here's a story. So you wanted to hear a failure? I got one for you. All right. Nobody else knows this story. I've never told anyone this. So, so this e- is the first time you're sharing this? Even Dorothy has never heard this. Really? Because it's embarrassing to me. Okay. I'll probably tell her now, you know, but I, it's just like every time I would think of it, it was so embarrassing. Wow. But I was like 19 years old, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I I had been drawing and on my own. Uh, I I wanted to be an illustrator or a comic book artist. And I was getting better and I took my portfolio up to DC Comics. And I I met with Joe Orlando, who's an editor at DC. And I actually had my mind blown a little bit. Um, he, he was a guy who I admired and I knew of, you know, back to the EC Comics days in the 50s and Mad Magazine and stuff like that. And I have to admit it, it kind of, if I met someone I didn't know, it might have been better for me. Anyway, I showed him my portfolio and he gave me an assignment. He gave me four pages to do. It was for a Superman comic, mm-hmm. right? Well, I promptly went back home and failed miserably Mm. because I was so 
scared. I, I, the panic set in. I wasn't able to be creative or think or, or, or go. It was too soon for me. I hadn't learned. But, but on the other hand, though, that was a pivotal moment because that made me realize that I could not be a victim of fear. Yeah. And I had to learn that, um, you know, I learned that you need to understand that in your life, if everyone has 10 billion mistakes that you are fated to make, mm. there's no way you're going to get around them. You're going to make those mistakes. They're already lined up for you. Yeah. So you've got to decide that it's your friend. Use it. Look forward to it. You need it. Bring it on. Failure is great. Come on, fail me. I love it. Go ahead. You know, I, I want it. Yeah. I want to fail right now. <laughs> but the truth is, this is enormous. It's enormously empowering. If you can, you can learn that, you know, panic and fear of failure, it can ruin your dreams. Absolutely. Stupid fear of failure is like shooting yourself in the foot. Can you imagine that? You can mortally wound yourself by shooting yourself in the foot. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And, and it's that, I mean, I, and I, I've heard this so many times and I really believe this, that the only one who's going to stop you from doing anything that you want to set out to do is yourself. And you've just got to get over that. You've got to get over that paralysis, that self-imposed paralysis, and just not be afraid to take that risk, even if you're going to skin your knee, right? You know, as kids, you know, we learn to ride a bike, we fall off, we skin our knee. What do our parents do? They don't say, oh, well, don't ever get back on the bike. They force you right back on the bike. And, you know, I think it's just having that throughout your life is so important. It's hard. It's a hard lesson to learn that uh, this thing that you're so afraid of is you need to let it eat you. Yeah. <laughs> Let the monster eat you. Go ahead and find out. Getting get eaten by a monster get is not in, so bad. Go into the belly of the beast. In go in there and don't be afraid. Have a good time. Yeah. You know, I I I I guarantee whoever's listening to this, if you have that fear paralysis, uh, go ahead, go go do it. I mean, look, you'll get on a roller coaster. You're not afraid of that. That's more dangerous, honestly. Yeah. Because you know what? You're not going to get anything out of riding that roller coaster that makes you feel like you're going to die. But you will get something out of, you know, picking a goal, sticking to it, going for it. And if you, if someone laughs at your drawing, oh, you can't draw. That looks like crap. Don't, you take that and you use that to make you go further. You don't let it put you down you know that children look at children's drawings okay mm -hmm. children have an innate ability for composition yeah i'm always amazed when i look at little kids drawings how even though the figures and stuff may be primitive mm -hmm. the placement and it's really now there's a certain time in everyone's life where someone makes fun of your drawing yeah you know you're you're nine years old you're 10 years old someone laughs at it and says oh is that what that is oh geez <laughs> You can't draw. That's that's stupid. You know, um, there was a um, okay, like Dr. Seuss. We all know who Dr. Seuss is, right? Yeah. Doc Ted Geisel was his name. Uh, he tells a story uh, about how uh, people made fun of the way he drew, and someone and and, and he didn't listen. And look, he became Dr. Seuss. And people say, "Why do you draw that way?" And he would, his answer would be, it's the only way I can draw. And that's the only reason, that's all the reason you need to draw. 
Mm. You don't need anyone else's approval. Whatever it is that you're doing, it's coming out of you. It's coming from your eye to your brain to your hand. That's special right there. And it's not for anybody else. It's strictly for you. So if you're having fun with it, you should never stop. Don't let anybody stop you. I... In my life, I was a weird outcast anyway as a kid. Hmm. So when they told me my drawing was, was stupid or didn't look good, they had been picking on me for, for a long time for being different. I learned that different was cool. If they didn't like it, I was onto something. So, you know, let's hope that, that whatever you're doing, people are looking at it and making fun of you because it means that you're onto something. Yeah. I think that that is a huge knowledge burst that you've just shared with our listeners. So get into the belly of the beast and and let it consume you. And if someone's, yeah, if someone's making fun of you, but as long as what you're doing is authentic and true to you, keep yeah, doing it. That's yeah. all that matters. Screw them. Yeah. I don't care whether you like what I'm doing. Yeah, that's the best. That's the most important thing you can learn. You know, especially if you're young and you're just getting started doing stuff. Don't listen to anybody. Nobody knows nothing. You just do what you want to do. Awesome. I love it. Thanks so much, Doug. Now we're going to move into something that I call the Knowledge Burst Session. And this is where our guests share three game-changing resources and tips that our listeners can start using today to move forward. This is going to be a tough one for you, Doug, but I'm going to ask you, is there one particular movie, book, or it could be a song or even a cultural experience that you've had that was hugely influential in your journey and inspiring to you to move forward that you want to share with our listeners. Well, I have to give a lot of credit to, now you had asked me uh, earlier about books that were influential. And uh, when I was back then, Star Trek, by the second season, Stephen E. Whitfield came out with the making of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. It's a book that I recommend anybody, even to this day. If you're interested in television, that's a book that you absolutely must read. Of course, after that, Mark Cushman has a, a trilogy of books about the production of Star Trek that are absolute must-reads. And uh, there's so much information in there. The the making of Star Trek almost seems like an introduction to that trilogy. But in back in 1968 or whenever that book came out, I'm like 13 years old now, okay? And now I have a book this thick book on the making of the show that I think is revolutionary and it goes into the how they do it. I was 13 years old and I was reading production memos, call sheets, blueprints for sets, outlines for scripts, uh, notes from the network. I mean, can you picture that? Especially in 1967, 1968 because it was a whole different world. I mean, now with the internet, Anyone can go to the computer and type in prosthetic makeup. How do you make a mold and stuff like that? I mean, and you'll have like a thousand pages will come up that will tell you how to do that type of stuff. If you can't figure it out today. (laughs) (laughs) No excuses, right? Yeah. I mean, back then you had to really hunt and search and every scrap of knowledge was hard earned. Mm. So this book was revolutionary. Uh, and and that book really, I think that was the spark that got me moving towards working in uh, show business. Absolutely no doubt about it. I ended up meeting Stephen E. Woodfield. He became a good friend of mine many, many years later when I was working on Star Trek. Oh, that's great. You know, we ran a uh, a Star Trek store in Manhattan called the Federation Trading Post mm-hmm. at 53rd and 3rd when Star Trek was just a failed television show. And... Um, 
I remember all the local merchants were laughing at us but because uh, no one was coming in. And then we saved up enough money to run like a 15-second ad during Star Trek on WPIX in New York at like midnight. And the next day, there was a line around the block, and it stayed that way for like a year. Mm. That we, we sold all kinds of stuff, and we had to make a lot of the stuff that we sold because there was no merchandising yet. But we had the making of Star Trek there, and I remember I was sitting behind a counter, and this big, like, Viking kind of guy with a big red beard, you know, comes and sits right up on the counter. And I'm like, who the hell is this? And he sticks his hand out, and he says, Stephen E. Whitfield. And I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> Stephen, you wrote the book. <laughs> Oh my gosh, wow. You know, the trouble is is that because I've haven't stayed in one profession or thing. Mm-hmm. There isn't just one. Yeah. Um it's really hard to say. I mean, if you say makeup, I could tell you a book that got me started was pivotal. If you say Hollywood, I could give you a book, which I already said making a Star Trek. How about I think- I, I'm going to ask you a different one. Because you work in media and you've been involved in so many shows, was there a, a place that you've traveled to or throughout the country that was mm. particularly impactful for you? Hmm. Well, <laughs> the most impactful place I went to, I told you about already, and it wasn't that far from home. It was yeah. the New York World's Fair. Yeah. New York needs to do another World's Fair. I mean, it's hard to believe that they haven't, but it... Uh, uh, it was it was incredibly influential. I mean, it, 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 I not only did I travel to other countries by going there, I traveled to other planets and yeah. I traveled under the sea. And uh, it, you know, aside from that, Los Angeles has been really good to me. I, you know, Dorothy and I have been to England and and France and uh, and stuff like that. Uh, but um, and of of course, those are all impactful for their own. You know, their own things. I'd like to, you know, sit on the Seine in watercolor, you know. That's that's <laughs> that, that's that's cooler than you can imagine, you know. Yeah. But uh, honestly, really, that, that place was right next door. It was like a um, – it, it was like a rift in time opened up in Flushing Meadow Park where everything converged in this one place on the planet in, uh, at the New York World's Fair. And it was hugely, you know, you know, the thing was that I grew up around New York City. So I grew, I grew up around one of the most vivid, vibrant cities yeah. One of in the, the most world. cultural epicenters in the world too, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to find, you know, uh, bigger and better than that. I mean, we had all the illustration was going on there. There was, there was TV being done, mm-hmm. at, you know, at NBC and CBS and stuff like that. Um, all the artists who did the comic books lived there. Uh, I could go to Madison Avenue and visit Mad Magazine. I could go up to Marvel Comics and talk to Stan Lee. Um, Stan Lee could come to a party that I was having. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. We had a party at the Federation Trade Bus. Stan came. Mm. You know, um, it, uh, Dick Smith was right there. I didn't have to go very far. So I was I was really lucky. I mean, what I have – sometimes I think, gee, you know, I didn't start out in Hollywood. I started out in the Northeast. But in some ways, it was an advantage. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like the World's Fair was so influential for you from that young age and it just sparked so much in terms of your imagination and your and your passion for the creative arts. It, it really was. You know something? I don't know if you've seen it on Facebook where I got the street light from the World's Fair. Yes, I have seen that. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> that was like a dream come true for me. That's awesome. <laughs> Crazy. Well, Doug, as someone who has done so much, who does so much, Share a daily practice or habit that you have for prioritizing and managing your time. 
Well, I mean, for one thing, and as you already know, I don't burn any daylight. I'm up before the sun comes up. Yeah. Don't waste any time, you know? I mean, you want to take a nap in the afternoon, go ahead. But honestly, don't sleep your life away. Some people sleep their lives away, you know? I, don't get more than seven hours of sleep, and and even less if if you can. I mean, th- there were periods in my life where I only got five and a half hours of sleep. I don't think you should get less than that, but don't sleep your life away. Get up and get out and get under and do something. Um, as far as getting stuff done, I make priority lists. Honestly, I'll sit down and say, okay, what do I have to get done today? Yeah, uh, and it's absolutely essential and absolutely essential at work. To have lists priority where you expect to be by the end of the day, uh, so I, you know, set them up and knock them down. I can't think of anything more important than that. And of course, a positive attitude always. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Having that right mindset. Well, Doug, do you have a favorite app, website, or resource that you use in your daily life? Oh well, I mean, you know, um, computers have changed my life so much and everyone's life so much, but. I, I, I integrated computers into my own life, uh, my own brain circuitry. I mean, I've made a career out of it. When I, when I ended up going to the Star Trek art department, um, they were just, there was like one computer in the department. Yeah. And so that was my exposure to computers. I went out and I got a computer uh, and, and, and learned the programs that Michael Kuda was using. Uh, you know, I spent a couple of weeks just doing that day and night. And since then, the basic programs that have been so important to my life over the last, holy crow. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's got to be 20 years now with computers. But, but, you know, Photoshop, Lightwave, which is a CG program, Adobe Illustrator, those three programs, it's like they're my bread and butter. And there's a lot of other programs too. But those are like revolutionary, you know, whack-in-the-head type of uh, uh, life-changing stuff. Um, just like makeup was and getting some clay and some alginate, then it's the same as getting some Photoshop and some Lightwave and some Adobe Illustrator, you know? Uh, so those, those are massively important. Changed my life. Changed my life. And for anyone who wants to get into this industry, would you say those are the three that they really need to know, like the back of their hand? Well, I'd say everyone needs to know Photoshop. Uh, Adobe Illustrator, I mean, th- there are all alternate variants of these programs. You know, you might not use Lightwave, you might use Maya. You know, that's a, a different CG program. But I think that to have those types of programs where you could do graphics, you could visualize, you could paint with those three programs could take you uh, quite a ways, whether you're doing makeup. Any makeup artist who isn't using these tools is crazy. Uh there are programs like ZBrush where you could sculpt your concepts in the computer. I, I, one of the things I find that there are uh, people, and I have to say, especially people who've been around maybe as long as I have in the business, uh, are offended by computers and CG. And it makes them furious because they feel like they're being left behind or what they've studied for. I studied for this my whole life, and now this computer is taking it away from me. You, you know what? You can go down that path if you want. But you're just you're just ruining your you're screwing yourself. You got to get out there, and 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 move move ahead. Yeah. You know, it makes me nauseous when I hear people bitching about computers and CG. It's it sounds like you're giving up rather than growing and progressing. Yeah. You know, it becomes like an excuse for failure. You know, oh, I hate computers and I'm, don't fall into that trap. I don't know what it is with people why they have to get like that, but uh, they're hurting themselves. 
They really are. It's a shame. I always embrace the new stuff. I love it. I bring it on. You know, give me that new brush. You know, oh, I'm going to be able to like sculpt in midair. You know, in another ten years, I all the people who you know uh, uh, who who've been sculpting in clay, who that offends, they're they're going to you know curse it like the tool of the devil. You know, it's like the <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so it's so strange the yeah. reaction that some people. Well, I have. think some people have a hard time with change, Doug, and it sounds like you just grab the bull by the horns, and it just it's so consistent with the way you live your life, right? You don't you don't live in fear. You don't you don't no hesitate. no fear. Yeah. No fear. Sure. I'm afraid of monsters. Like if the creature from the Black Lagoon came <laughs> in the house, I'd be afraid, you know, but uh, but not ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Be afraid of, of the monsters in the lake, but not of ideas. And I think yeah, I mean, if, if you hear a knock on the door and you open the door and Dracula is there, well, then the, you can be there scared. You go. There you go. There That's you go. okay. Yeah. You should run from him. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Doug, for sharing those knowledge bursts. And moving forward, <laughs> listeners, Take that to heart. Don't be afraid of ideas. <laughs> be afraid of the monsters, uh, you know, outside the door, but not of the ideas. Wolfman. Yeah, I love it. You know, if you like going your and the Wolfman's in your bed, <laughs> now be afraid. Run, run away. <laughs> That's worth being afraid of because he will, he'll eat you. Hey, moving forward, listeners, you can find links to many of the books and resources mentioned by today's guest, along with offers to try out Audible and Amazon Prime. These are affiliate links for which I receive a small commission, which helps the podcast and is greatly appreciated. You can find these on the write-up for today's episode at bemovingforward.com. Doug, we have listeners from all backgrounds, all walks of life, all over the world. And we have some people who listen to this who are struggling to get out of their, their own way, who are struggling to find their passion in life. What is the one thing that our listeners, moving forward listeners, can start doing today to bring them closer to their career or life's passion? That, number one, you've got to learn to eliminate all negative thoughts. Hmm. I'm sure they have negative thoughts every day. Oh, I just don't have the energy or oh, I don't feel like it. Or I Entertain only optimistic and lifeward thoughts. Thoughts become actions and actions realize thought. It's like I said before, you think shit, you get shit. And I'm not kidding. That alone could abs totally revolutionize your life. There was a book I mentioned before, and I, I call it like General Outlook Management. <laughs> <laughs> Love the it. book is called The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. A guy named Joseph Murphy wrote it. It's still on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And it taught me self-hypnosis and auto-brainwashing, you know, basically. Uh, you know, you can train yourself. Look... It's good to look ahead and see the pitfalls, seeing how you're going to fail. But you don't see them as something that's going to hold you back or stop you, you know? You've got to change everything around to a positive direction, everything. It will change your entire life. You'll, if you do that, success will follow you. Yeah, yeah. You attract what you put out there. It's absolutely true, Doug, and I think it's, I can yes, beautifully put. It's, it's a basic law of the universe, yeah. you know? I, I can't stress it. I can't stress it more. You change your life. Yeah. Change your thoughts, change your life. I don't know where I read that, but that's the truth. I love it. Moving forward, listeners, change your thoughts, change your life. It all begins with what's up in the noodle. I absolutely agree with that. I love that, Doug. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's the truth. Doug, what is next for you? I'm 63 years old now. Uh, I don't feel old. I'm, you know, excellent shape. And, uh, and my brain is like vibrating every day, 
but still, I'm hoping to retire in another five or six years, honestly. Uh, and that doesn't mean that, uh, that I won't be working. I'll, cont- I'll be continuing to work. It's just that uh, it means I won't have to, which is a wonderful, empowering thing. Mm. You know what I, what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you're not, you don't have to work. You're doing it 100% for fun. It's not even for money anymore, yeah. you know, although you, you can make money. I, I'm just imagining that energy uh, that will be unleashed in even more creative uh, uh, action uh, than previously you know, seen for me. Uh, I, I, between now and then, I figure there's a lot of really interesting stuff uh, that's going to happen for me still in television. You know, I've been in the visual effects side of it and a computer side. And whereas in the past I've moved from one thing to the other, I think I'm probably going to stick with uh, this uh, all through my life, what's left of my life, because um, it, it encompasses so much. For instance, when I was doing makeup, I was looking at what they were doing in the art department. When I was in the art department, I was looking at what they were doing with the visual effects. The, the thing is that once you get into the computers, when, when, I, when I work, I get to design. I get to build the set. I get to light the set. I get to set up the camera. Mm. I get to set up the mood. I get to everything. It's all, all there. So I'm going to be pretty it's going to be pretty fat with that over the next, you know, five, six, ten years. And then at the point where I decide that uh, if things aren't really cooking, there's nothing I want to be involved with, I, I, I'll, I'll just be, you know, for instance, I've always wanted to do a graphic novel, you know, pure brain from hand, you know, uh, and the way I want it, no clients <laughs> involved, <laughs> bless them all, yeah. I'm, you know. To get to do some stuff that, because I've been so busy over the last 33 years, I haven't gotten to draw as much as I would like to. There's more computer happening, you know. So uh, uh, I see a lot more of that coming my way as well. Sounds like you're going to come full circle from those early days when you were just illustrating and just drawing. And, you know, I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, Doug... Thank you so much for sharing your journey, your story, and your knowledge with our listeners today. What is the best way that our listeners can learn more about your work? How can they connect with you? Facebook. I have a page on Facebook. And, and, and actually, I have a lot of articles and, uh, and albums of photos and things that I've done over the years on my page that you know people are free to, to take a look at. And uh, so, yeah, drop by. Bring something to eat. <laughs> awesome. Love it, Doug. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to, to join me today. This has been a real treat. I really appreciate it, Doug. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, John. Absolutely. Absolutely. Moving forward, listeners, you've just heard the knowledge, the experience of Doug Drexler. Remember, it all starts with the ideas. Don't let anything hold you back. Get over that fear hump, go into the belly of the beast, and remember, ideas, positive thoughts, turn into action. I think that's the takeaway that we have from today's episode. Thank you so much, Doug. Thank you, John. And listeners, for more information on Doug and all of our extraordinary guests on Moving Forward, visit us at bemovingforward.com. You can also find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. This is John Lim with Moving Forward, and stay tuned. We have another extraordinary guest tomorrow as Moving Forward continues its 50th episode celebration week. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.